0: right. So, Liz, I think I figured out why Americans are bad at vacations. Really? It's it's crazy that we are. But so what do you think? Well, I'll give you a personal example. I was taking a six-week unpaid leave from a job once and six weeks of nothing in front of me.
1: Delightful.
0: And I remember... Nonetheless, every day waking up and still having that kind of knee jerk panic feeling that you get when you're in a high stress Mm -hmm. job, where it's like, what do I have to do today? Mm -hmm. What do I got to get done? And I would sort of walk around feeling nervous because I wasn't doing anything that I wasn't getting things done. Mm -hmm. And it (laughs) took literally two weeks for me to start feeling like I could just wake up and relax and enjoy not doing anything for a minute. Uh Uh-huh. So what's the insight there? Note the length of time. It was exactly two weeks, which is the standard length of an American vacation.
1: So by the time we're actually on our vacations, they're over.
0: That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, America, we've got to fix it. (laughs) From Wondery, this is Safer Work. I'm Rico Galliano, that's Liz Dolan, and today on the show we're gonna be talking about work-life balance. Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) Well, we have our very own coach Larry Seal joining us, so if anyone can help us figure it out, it's him.
1: Yay, Larry, that's true. Then we'll talk with a listener who was hired to build finance policies for his company, but instead found himself spending his days replacing printer toner and ordering office supplies. Oh my
0: gosh. And we'll decide once and for all if don't send emails at night is is actually bad advice.
1: All that and so much more, really, here on Safe for Work. So stick around.
2: Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Safe for Work, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today.
3: If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com Wondery.
2: Say hello to a new era of mental health care.
1: So we've talked a lot about work-life balance on this show, sure. including from the point of view of women, especially moms trying to balance child-rearing and career and all of those challenges. But what about the men?
0: Yes. What about us? Yes. Damn it. What about us? <laughs> right. And that's actually my we first question. We don't care question. about you, really. Oh,
1: no, wait. We do. <laughs> uh, sh-
0: That's actually my first question to our guest, uh, a Safer Work regular. He's executive coach, Larry Seal. Larry, are there special challenges for men when it comes to balancing home life and work life?
4: Yeah. You know, it's interesting because in some ways men have it easier. But where it gets tough, I think, is women in our society and in general, my experience in coaching people, they're paying attention to – family issues and they're structuring things and kind of the CEO at home, even if they have a big job, more so than their husbands. And so when their husbands decide, hey, wait a minute, this is a priority for me and I need to pay attention to it, it's usually pretty far down the road of, it's bad.
0: Oh, they're they're like partners have reached a breaking point, basically.
4: Yeah. Either their partners have or their kids have. Their Mm -hmm. kids are complaining or they're seeing their kids you know, checking out of things or not sharing with them in the same way. And all of a sudden, it's an, oh my gosh, moment. Something needs to shift here.
0: So what's the result?
4: Well, the hardest thing is thinking that you can do anything different, right? So everybody who is working hard and is not in balance, it has decided my work is critical. I bring home the bacon. It's how I get my my self-satisfaction. My identity, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So therefore, I've got to be connected all the time. Mm. And I really don't have any room to get in. And my team's going to be working until 8 o'clock. So I couldn't possibly leave before that. Yeah, sure. And there's there's a logical piece to that. But the reality is... Managers with huge jobs set deadlines, right? They'll say, look, I'm out of here at six. I'm going to go home. I'm going to be with my family. We're going to have dinner. We're going to have some time. I may log in later at nine o'clock and help out and help solve problems, but they carve out the time they make that decision to say, this is critical to me too. And just just saying I'm going to do that is scary because you feel like you're not holding up your end.
1: Yeah, well, it's like you're still expected to work 24-7, but you're just in a different place. But I think a lot of this comes down to the kind of mixed messages that companies send or or the way we receive the company messages. Because on the one hand, people are starting to be more enlightened about offering, you know, like paternity leaves and things like that or more flexible vacation schedules. On the other hand, we know from data that a lot of people, but particularly men, Don't even take the vacation they get, never mind take a paternity leave. It's like they really are fearful about stepping away and exercising any balance.
4: Yeah, it's almost a joke in corporate leadership that, hey, we've got unlimited vacation policy. Take it whenever you want, Mm -hmm. and yet you look at what people actually take, it's always less than two weeks. If you look across the board, not even two weeks out of a year. Yeah, yeah because they feel the pressure to work and in fact I've talked to tons of people who never ever in their professional career have taken a 2 week vacation ever. That well, that's
1: why they need you
4: Larry. Those people are broken. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they are they they thank, are in
1: desperate need of coach
0: Larry Seal. Thank your lucky stars, Larry.
4: Yeah, and yet to the point that you just made Liz, which is the company's actually unlimited vacation it has a good intent behind it. It's intended to really say, look, our human beings are our most important assets. We need you at your best. Take time, keep yourself fresh, keep yourself on the top of your game. Super smart. And then they do the raw, raw work about care about what you do and care about our customers and care about your colleagues. And then you do And then you feel horribly guilty when you step out and leave them alone. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we break out
0: of this? How do you break out of this cycle and actually, for instance, take the vacation that you are due
4: and should actually do if you want to serve your customers? Yep. So now we come back to what are your priorities? Mm -hmm. Is your priority being the person that you are at work more than anything else? If it is – and if you can look back at the end of your career and say, well, there was 45 years and the most important thing to me was how I was in my role at work, then congratulations. <laughs> I don't think that's okay, true Larry. for most people. <laughs> yeah. Right? I love yeah. the way you said that I don't think that that's up. true. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm a spouse. I'm a partner. I'm a parent. I'm a child. Yeah. You've got so many rules, and you don't create space and people don't create space for their children or their partner they don't create space to have friendships either for mm. a lot of people and it's crazy talk and so as a coach i just try and get people to zoom out you know 20 years and look back and say are you going to be really glad that you worked until 7:30 every evening versus being home and having dinner with your family yeah sure and if you answer anything other than no i'm going to smack you <laughs>
0: But what, but what is the first step for something, especially for a guy that's come to you and is saying, yeah, I've never had to think about this before, mm-hmm. but now my wife is leaving me or my children hate me or they forgot what my name is mm-hmm. and I need to make a change. What's the first thing that they've got
4: to do? Yep. So, so what I try and get them to do is time bound their day. In other words, pick an hour that they can get out of work and be home during meaningful time, right? That could be a meal. It could be helping the kids with their homework and maybe watching their favorite show with them and just playing a little bit. You've got to be there for the most important times. And so it's really working backwards from that, that period of time at your home and saying, what do you need to do to be a part of that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so for a lot of people, it's like, look, I'm not working past 630 and they've got massive jobs. But they're not going to do it because they're going to be home at 7 o'clock. And that's, it's tough to draw that line. But once you do it there, then you begin to realize the universe didn't explode. Yeah. The company didn't fail because you didn't work an extra two hours. <laughs> it's yeah. doing just fine.
0: I've also had points in my life where I realized that I could shift – things. Like you're talking about specifically, you need to be around at a time where the time can be quality with Mm -hmm. your family and friends and all the other roles that you play. So I I remember at one point realizing, hey, I could get up a little earlier. I don't usually have tons of quality time at that particular moment at like, you know, six in the morning or whatever. I could get up a little earlier, do my work in the morning and then get out at a time when I can actually have dinner with a friend or Mm -hmm. something like that.
4: Yep. And you know, the people who do tend to have better balance, I think do do that. They make really, great use of their time and they're the get up early people and they get things out of the way so that they have time during the day when everybody else is is functioning but i really think the quality of the time is so important once you decide all right great i'm going to be home for dinners and i'm going to be available for you know 2 hours to watch tv or play games or or just chat about things you've got to actually be there which means you cannot Have your laptop open. It means you cannot have your phone next to you, and you're checking it all the time. And I got to tell you, that one is killer hard for people. Mm. They get yelled at. I'm home, but everybody's yelling at me because I'm always on my phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. you got to actually. And and so now you're shooting yourself in the foot because you've made the decision to prioritize being there, but you're actually not really being there. You're cheating. Mm -hmm. So, so. All phones have a do not disturb function. <laughs> you can turn it on and say, I'm not going to be disturbed between 6.30 and 8.30. And if you happen to have a job, by the way, where you've got to be available if, you know, the earth catches on fire, yeah. great. Then give them in your home line and they can call you on that. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. But you literally carve time to where you're not looking, your device is not dinging, beeping, buzzing. Be present. All right. And I'll tell you, the saddest story I ever heard, actually, was from a woman that I coached, and she said, the quality time thing became clear to me. I was at home. My daughter, who was in third grade, needed some help with her homework, so I was trying to help her. I was cooking dinner, and I had my laptop open (laughs) on the counter. And I was doing all of these things at the same time, feeling like Superwoman. Yeah. And her daughter walked up and said, Mommy... Can I make an appointment to get a hug?
0: Oh my god.
4: Oh, stab uh, me through the heart. That's terrible. Exactly. And she said, after I finished crying, yeah. you know, I'm like, I'm not doing that anymore. And it doesn't mean that you don't care about your job and you're not being accountable. It's just that you're being smart about being a human being mm-hmm. versus a worker at a company. Be yeah. honest,
0: though. When she told you that story, you were like, oh, my God, I'm going to be telling this
4: anecdote at every <laughs> seminar I give for the rest of my life. You got that <laughs> right. I think I handed her a $100. I'm like, I'm going to use this. So well, often,
1: it, it's you know, it's just fascinating, Larry. There's so much cultural conversation around this, but not yet enough cultural change. Right. So yep. and so, some of the change is just going to come from little things like that: exercising your do not disturb button, people
0: actually taking your vacation. If you take do a vacation, it, if you yes. like, yeah. seriously, it's mm-hmm. like a thing for managers, especially. It's like mm-hmm. if you take a vacation, maybe you're
4: modeling taking a vacation for mm-hmm. everybody else. Mm-hmm. Well, so Rico, that's really important because. Companies will say in their values, we want you to be balanced and we want you to have a life. And we've talked about already why that can be really difficult. The most important thing, I believe, that allows people to really say, it's okay, is my boss modeling it. Your boss taking vacations. Your boss... Once a month, taking a Friday off, your boss being out of the office at 630 so they can be home with their family Mm -hmm. or go hang out with their mom and dad. When you see your boss doing that, you actually realize it's just not something printed on the wall. It's real. And so, manager by manager, this gets made real, or not.
1: Okay, bosses, let's get with the program here. Please. You heard Coach Larry Seal, CEO of Engage Leadership. And and no fair expecting people to check in while they're on vacation either. That doesn't count.
4: Do not disturb.
1: (laughs) Thanks for the inspiration, Larry.
4: Thanks both.
3: Okay, it's time to commit. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: All right, we'll tackle some bad advice in just a second here. But first, we have Gilbert on the line. And I'm very happy because Gilbert has been on the show with us before. And apparently, Rico... Our advice
0: helped. What? <laughs> we did something correctly? You are shocked, no,
1: right? It's
0: it's always nice to hear.
1: So, Gilbert, welcome back to the show. What's your situation now? How can we help?
5: Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show again. Uh, your advice the last time really helped my situation. And um, from that, I actually decided to move on to a new position that gives me a little bit more responsibility and um, obviously, some more pay, and you would think it would give me some ability to pick up some new um, skills and other things that will build my resume. Mm-hmm. So I started at another nonprofit. It's a smaller one than what I left a few months ago. Uh, so through my interview process, I was, you know, told a lot of things that I'll be able to work on. I was supposed to be able to build some policies and procedures for the finance department that will trickle down throughout the um, different programs that this organization has. And, you know, the team I would have. And then as I, you know, took the position and began to work, you know, three weeks in, the person that's reporting to me was terminated.
1: Oh, Oh, boy. Yeah.
5: So now you know, instead of, you know, implementing, you know, policies for the finance department, I'm, you know, putting toner in the in a copy machine, okay. ordering office supplies. And, you know, that's totally not what I signed <laughs> up for. Um, that sounds demoralizing. For sure. Because, you know, I had, you know, ideas of grandeur of what I was looking <laughs> to do. But, you know, every day it's it's like um on Staples or, you know, some other office supply sites or handling some other task that, Again, I'm not above, but it's just the fact that, you know, it's not what I signed up for. Um, I told my supervisor that I can do this for a particular period of time, and I was reassured that I would get some assistance. But I was told, you know, oh, September will do something, then January. So Mm -hmm. I'm still the the person still doing everything.
0: (laughs) This is, by the way, your supervisor, you mentioned in your email, is also the CEO of this company. Is that right? Correct. So, well, first of all, have you talked to your CEO since then about, about this? Like, basically, you promised me something. I mean, obviously, you don't say it like this, but it's like, remember that thing we talked about?
5: So, for sure, you know, from the advice I received last time, we sort of, you know, communicating my expectations and the things that I've observed so that, you know, there's no, nothing to be um, left to be assumed. Mm-hmm. So, I've, you know, voiced my distress, if you will, with <laughs> things that are going on and as a result, there are some things that, you know, I just don't have the bandwidth to do. So I have to make choices between, you know, office operation thing or something that's, you know, more important as far as, you know, the accounting part of my job, which is really what I'm supposed to be doing, like preparing reports for the finance committee. So, yeah, sure.
1: Yeah. That's where I see the key is here about like what your next communication needs to be on this Mm. because it's not – as you say, you're not above doing this other stuff that needs to get done, but it is taking you away from – the high value work that you are trained for and got hired for. So sometimes they think they're like saving a lot of money by having you also Mm -hmm. do all this other stuff, but it's actually costing them a lot of money to have you not do the things that you know are actually more important to the company. So I'm not sure exactly how to do this, but somehow you need to be very clear about what contributions would you be making if you weren't stuck with all this low value work. And then maybe suggest alternative ways to get the low-value work done. It might be hiring. It might be outsourcing. It might be reorganizing. You know, it's not that you want to build a fiefdom of your own where you're going to go in and demand, we need to hire four people and blah, 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 blah. That's obviously not feasible, right? You figured that much out. But if you can maybe try to be constructive and yeah, there's a better way for some of this stuff to get done. And in the meantime, look at these big, important things that I could be doing for you. And and lay that out. So if you don't insist that the solution is just hiring more people, there might be other ways to free you up. I don't know. Does that sound possible?
5: Um, it's, it could be possible. Um, the, I guess the one thing that I noticed is that my hire actually came with a lot of anticipation. There was a lot of folks that were looking to say, OK, this is the operational thing that I was doing. Since you're here, here, take it. And that's where a lot of the, the heavy plate sort of comes from. Uh, yeah. There's some bandwidth that I can actually, you know, sort of push back to where um, those tasks actually came from.
1: Right. So the people mm-hmm. who dumped it on you, you need to figure out a uh, way of sort of dumping it back on them. <laughs> <laughs> that's or let's just say organizing it differently. Because it's, we can yes. all agree yes. these tasks have to get done, but maybe yep. there's a better way to – I'm not suggesting a chore chart or anything, Gilbert, <laughs> but,
0: you know. It can't just be you. I yeah. have. A, there was one other thing that stood out to us is that you got a CEO of what you call a medium-sized nonprofit, but he's directly overseeing you, the accounting manager which seems like Mm -hmm. not something a CEO normally doesn't. It just led us to wonder, do you think that there's any kind of budget issues going on in this?
5: So that's also, I guess, the underlying issue. There is a a bit of a budget crunch because Uh there's been some massive turnover. So everyone that's, you know, middle management, which would be myself, director and above, none of us has been here longer than two years. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there was a level of understanding of, you know, it was going to be difficult but I had no idea it was going to be, you <laughs> this, know, difficult. this difficult.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but it does lead us to, I think this leads us back to what Liz was saying, is that it doesn't sound like you're going to get the extra help that you clearly need under you. And coming up with some other th- way of saying, like, we need to divvy up these chores, shall we say, mm-hmm. amongst the people that are here is maybe a better way to go, or figuring out some other way of communicating that your job is going to be more mm-hmm. valuable if you can get some of these things off of your plate in some other way.
5: Right.
1: Yeah, I think this is not uncommon that how can you ever really tell interviewing somewhere whether the company is as organized and as well-funded as you think they are? That's a tough thing. Yeah. So you actually ended up in an organization that was less well-organized and less well-funded than they told you in the interview process, right?
5: Right. Yeah. For sure. So, you know, the nonprofit industry, you can look at 990s and things like that to see their financial position. And they look pretty strong. And then when I got here, I was like, oh, you know, worse <laughs> yeah. than I thought.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah. I know. But you do sound like a super smart guy. Be constructive and creative and lay this out for them. It's like I've come into this situation where you needed X out of me, I can't give you X because i'm seriously literally at the office supply store yeah this Mm -hmm. the center cannot hold Mm -hmm. (laughs) as long as this goes on and it sounds like also i mean maybe on the plus side if you got a lot of new people maybe they're not them do it hey
6: (laughs) but also maybe they're not
0: quite so entrenched in the old ways they're like kind of making it up as they go along too so maybe
5: you'll get some buy-in there Uh, i definitely uh, try to do that Mm -hmm. all right Good luck, man. Good luck. Thank you so much, and I love the show. Uh, Thank you so much.
1: Bye bye. Ciao. Bye bye. Okay, it's time for one of our favorite games, Rico. This is where we take a typical piece of workplace advice, not one of our superb pieces of advice, Mm -hmm. and we decide whether it's actually good or bad advice.
0: And we like to call it bad advice.
1: We are looking at a blog post we found with this provocative headline. Why don't send emails at night is terrible, outdated advice. So what do you think?
0: Upon reading that headline, obviously my first thought was I disagree vehemently with you. Uh, Mm -hmm. It is not bad advice to send... Uh, to say, don't do To it. say, don't send an email mm-hmm. at night. Like, you should not send emails at night. Seems like the obvious thing because it, of course, makes everybody feel like they have to respond to that email in the middle of the night. At the very least, it raises the question, should I be responding to this email mm-hmm. at night? It's, it seems like a subtle dig to prod people into action when they should be at home enjoying their lives, right? Agreed, yes. Um, but I will say, after reading the article, it does have some interesting points, one of which surprised me, frankly, which is that the times of day when people most open emails are at night. Apparently, early evening and late evening are the two most popular times. So that is when people are reading their emails. So why should it be crazy to send an email? We kind of are doing that work anyway. The other point in this blog post is you should be sending an email whenever you think of it, because if you don't do it, A, it might be causing you stress because you are going to be worried about sending it later. But B, you may forget to send it. Mm-hmm. So you're actually hurting yourself in the name of you know. I've done that. To you put it rule. in your
1: draft folder. You think I'll send it in the morning, and then guess what? You're doing other things in the morning, and you totally forget. That's Days right. go by, and there it is in your drafts.
0: That is true. And so to keep from doing that, first of all, they say that you should learn how to use the little thing that allows you to time an email and send it yeah, in the morning got if the you want to. time to
1: learn how to do that.
0: That's right. So barring that, which I I agree with you on, <laughs> it is setting the expectation amongst all of your colleagues that if you receive an email late at night, you are not obligated to respond to it Mm -hmm. until the following day. Mm -hmm. And I think that's super interesting and probably a great thing to do. I would say, though, unlike this blog post, I would say you should do that in a group setting rather than kind of one-on-one as it happens, Mm -hmm. which is how they recommend that you do it. So what about you? That okay, was a my answer to thing. this
1: is just totally unhelpful. I just want to pose the question. Do you realize how much time we spend talking about emails? It's almost as if we think that emails and work are the same thing. It's, they've become so synonymous. Like, if we're emailing, we're working. Well, most emails are really not that useful. And that just because we're emailing doesn't mean we're working. And I just want to say we would all be so much better off with less email. In our lives. That I think so is undeniable. I am, I am for anything that causes anyone to say to themselves, do I really need to send this? Right? Mm-hmm. I almost don't care what time of day or night. I think we should all – like maybe – could we all just agree 50%? Let's pick some random number. We're going to delete half of the emails we're about to send. Would would the world end? I think not, Rico. I think we'd be fine.
0: It probably would not. But I will say as somebody who I think and work better at night, weirdly Mm – I am somebody who has very often been in the situation we talked about earlier where it's like I have this idea I have this thing that I should take care of oh I should really send this email and I don't and then it ends up messing me up Yeah so it is it's a it's a slippery slope to say like well let's start By getting rid of late-night emails because that may be harming people like me, your friend, Rico.
1: Who just gets so creative after dinner. Why do you want
0: to ruin my career is what I'm saying. That's
1: why for me mainly it's not so much about time of day. And partly that's because, you know, my last few jobs have been like global jobs where I'm dealing with people in time zones all over the world. So there's no such thing as day or night. The people in Japan are going to send that email during their workday in Japan and the same if they're in Abu Dhabi or something. So – I'm not hung up like, after seven, don't send anything. I'm just hung up on the volume of email. All right. (laughs) Not the same thing as work.
0: So let's just say, (laughs) don't send emails at night may not be the best advice, Mm -hmm. but the the positive advice would be like, just think about every email you send and whether it's necessary.
1: Make it worth it, people.
2: (laughs) You hear that? Your dog knows. Spring is coming sooner than you think. But the warmer weather also means that fleas and ticks are coming back. Fleas are an itchy nuisance and can easily get into your home, furniture, and beds, which can be terrible. Ticks are even worse. They're hard to spot but can carry disease and get your dog really sick. Pet Med's pharmacists connect directly with your vet to save you time and deliver the best flea and tick products for your pet. PetMeds offers low prices on all flea and tick meds, including NexGuard, Simperica, and more. Visit PetMeds.com and use promo code PODCAST to save 40% on your first auto ship order. That's PetMeds.com promo code PODCAST for 40% off your first auto ship order. (laughs)
1: Okay, Rico, we're almost out of time on today's show. But before we go, let's take one more call from a listener. We have Gabriel on the line here. And Gabriel, you're out looking for a new job, and you have kind of a unique question for us. So how can we help?
6: Right. Well, I have actually a, my normal background. I have a bachelor's in psychology. I've filled various managerial roles. So I, I have a normal, you know, in-office kind of a background. So it's not like my resume is lacking any. Right. But, you know, in my free time, such as it is, I, I do uh, involve in the BDSM community. And by that, I mean, me and my household, which is a group of people that uh, are kind of like-minded, there's about seven of us, uh, we go out and we, we actually assist with some of the major events that happen here in Southern California. We, we assist with the background, the setup, the teardown, those kind of things. You know, I've done training and teaching, not only for classes one-on-one with people, but also training the trainers. And uh, various places that hold these kind of events also have what they call DMs, which are monitors that kind of monitor behavior, monitor things going on, making sure they're safe. And I do the training for those as well. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of background and, and experience over the last 14 or so years that I think I can really put on my resume. I'd love to put it on there, but I want to make sure how how would I go about putting an unorthodox kind of background and experience on a resume?
0: And then for those who don't know, BDSM, it's, a, it's an, an unorthodox lifestyle, let us
1: say. Can you
6: just define it for us? Okay. Um, you know, bottom line is just kink, you know, kink and, and the variants of it. BDSM actually stands for bondage and domination, dominant submission, and sadism, masochism.
1: So here's where I netted out on this, Gabriel, because, you know, it's it, it's a provocative question, but actually the issue is simple to me. I would never tell someone to, like, take a job where they had to hide who they really were. However, the goal of a resume or a job interview, is to try to make it simple for an employer to hire you. And anything that makes it hard for the employer to pick you is kind of a distraction. And it would be for anything outside of what your day job is. Because as you said to us at the beginning of the call, your regular day job is you're a global sales specialist, right? And are you looking for a another job in that general field?
6: Yeah, I'm not looking to stray too far. I might look into something like HR, regulatory, because I do a, a lot of that kind of stuff right now on my current job. So even though I'm, I'm global sales specialist, there's a lot of other jobs that have been tacked onto my position currently.
0: Sure, and you just kind of want to flesh out your um, resume with this other job experience, but it's not a hundred percent necessary, is what you're saying?
6: Right, because there's there's a lot that really can transfer over into business, and, yeah. and quite often when I'm teaching classes, I actually take business terms and utilize that in my classes. So I know that it crosses over.
1: Yeah. Sure. Yeah, no, we can hear it. We can read it in your letter that you do have a, like a very specific set of skills. It's not related to your day job, though, and it's not related to the simplicity of trying to boil things down on a resume and have a conversation with a potential employer that is kind of – uncomplicated. What you don't want to do is give them a reason not to hire you.
4: Yes. But or, it's, a, or,
1: it's awkward to even say like, okay, well, that has to be in some other category. It's more for me, like if there's anything that you're doing outside of your regular work that you think would make it harder to get a job or more complicated to have a conversation with an employer, I would just think twice about whether or not you want to open that up. Right. When you hear me say that, what's your reaction to that? Am I being super lame?
6: (laughs) Um, Not necessarily super lame. I mean, I I know, even with my my bachelor's in psychology, I'm not in a psychology field right at the moment. So I know that when I go into putting it on a resume and go in and and interview, that I'm going to have to explain how that connects with the business world. And I know for certain that there are things that connect in this world that work with, business, you know, there's things like problem solving, there's there's protocol and standards and procedures that, you know, not only are created, but implemented, there's community outreach and service, there's there's management. But in order to explain that to a a person who's going to be hiring me, I need to be able to kind of have that backstory along with it. So I I know that that's going to come to a point where I have to explain that and being able to explain that not only do these things connect with business, but where did they come from?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we really struggled with this. We don't yeah, We it's... don't want to tell you not to be who you are. And it's also like in a perfect world, you've got real experience mm-hmm. doing something that's totally legal and you should be able to list it. Like, why shouldn't you? But if the idea when you're sending in a resume is to give people the fewest reasons not to talk to you. <laughs> uh, it just seems like it's, especially if you don't know who you're turning this thing over to, you don't know who's going to actually receive your resume.
6: Right. And I, I've certainly had, had jobs where I've had bosses that were, you know, even had their toes stepped into that. That, that You don't really know that until you've had that conversation.
0: Exactly. Which is I guess why, that's our point. Yeah. Right. And my follow-up to this would be, I think there it, it doesn't mean that you can't ever put this on a resume. I would just say that it then becomes incumbent on you to do your research and really know who it is that you're sending this resume to. Like if you know that it's someone from within that community or is sympathetic to that community, and by the way, it would surprise i think a lot of people to find out who would have no problem with this whatsoever mm-hmm. um then i say go ahead and absolutely do it but otherwise i think we both agree that it's like erring on the side of caution especially since you've got a resume that seems like it'll float on its own without this padding mm-hmm. i think you can get away with it
6: right and and the question kind of boils down to okay you know yeah i can put this on here to kind of fluff it up you know if i put the background or or experience that I've had on this, that that certainly would set me apart from the crowd, but (laughs) I don't want it to ultimately set me apart from the crowd in the wrong way. Exactly.
1: And that's why I would say meeting someone first before you decide whether you want to open that door into the other part of your life and the other work that you do. Like I would give it that like, meet the people and and make that judgment yourself
0: yeah just in general if you don't know your audience err on the side of vanilla i think is what we're probably saying (laughs) yeah you you
1: you use the word vanilla in your letter which was interesting you said it's often common in your community to just be vanilla i hope it doesn't sound like we're saying yeah vanilla is really the way to go but i think in a job (laughs) search it might be the first way to go
6: it's just kind of exactly what I expected, but definitely <laughs> great to, you know, to kind of circle that. But in, on the off chance that there was maybe a, a small way have added that in it was mm-hmm. it was worth a shot I,
0: I can imagine I know Northern California has a huge BDSM scene that's also mm-hmm. where you mm-hmm. know Silicon Valley is I think there would be plenty of companies that actually would find this interesting and great experience so but I would just say know who your audience is that's all definitely
6: well appreciate it thank you so much
1: okay good luck thanks so much for writing to us
0: later thanks have a good
3: for Wondery this is safe for work to hear more episodes of Safe for Work, listen exclusively with Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus for more exclusives, binges, early access, and ad-free listening. Available in the Wondery app. This episode was hosted by Rico Galliano and Liz Dolan. Our original theme song is composed by Martin Blanco. Audio engineering by Misha Stanton, produced by Audrey Noh and executive produced by Allison O'Neill and Marshall Louie. Created and executive produced by Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Remember, Workplaces can feel crazy, but you
1: don't have to. One,
2: two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.